Hello, everyone, and welcome to ZFZ's podcast series on how to deal with an economic crisis for international businesses. We will be discussing different legal topics and insights relevant to businesses and hope to provide you with some novel perspectives and strategies to deal with the crisis. Stay tuned. I'm going to talk about uh, a lien that we tend not to deal with all that often. We all know about maritime liens over vessels and going and seizing ships for sums that the, the owners haven't paid or when they're in default. I'm going to look at the reverse. Um, and we've had cause to look at this recently and get into the weeds on it a bit. I hope I don't get into the weeds today. I'll try and keep it quite high level. Um, I'm looking at the ship owner's lien over cargo um, and primarily looking at it from the US perspective, although I will compare it with the, the English approach as well. Um, in, the, in the US approach, a ship owner's lien over cargo is very much a true maritime lien. Okay, so it's different to the English possessory lien. We're in the category of maritime liens. And why that's important is what is the ultimate result of a maritime lien? A, a true maritime lien, if, if it runs its course, gets you the right to sell that good. Um, you have rights in rem against that good and you can sell it and use the proceeds to satisfy the debt. Possessory lien is different to that, which I'll touch on in a bit. Um, so what is this lien over, over cargo? Uh, in the US, it goes back um, to, I think, 1861. There was a US Supreme Court decision in uh, a case called In Re 4,885 Bags of Linseed. That's the name of the case, which is a bit different to how we, we name cases these days. Anyway, it established that the shipowner's lien over cargo is a true maritime lien in the US context. Um, it attaches to the cargo. Um, and it's, it's there for outstanding sums uh, that are owed that to the ship owner, freight, hire, demurrage, um, general average, things like that. Um, and if, if those sums are, are not paid, then the ship owner has a right to seek to enforce that lien. If the lien is enforceable, you know, three related or accompanying rights stem from that. First, they have a right to hold on to the, to the cargo. Um, so the, uh, the sum is unpaid, they make a demand, uh, they can hold on to that cargo when they arrive, when the ship arrives at a discharging port. Um, there's the second accompanying right is an, an actual right to refuse to deliver. If, they, if the ship owner has made a demand and that demand has gone unsatisfied, and then ultimately, and most critically, really, when we're looking at the difference between a US lien and, and the English one, is that they have a right in rem against that cargo to apply to court, to get the marshal to, um, to seize it and proceed with a judicial sale. If they succeed through that whole process, they will be able to sell that cargo under court order and use the proceeds free of any other encumbrances to satisfy the debt. It can be complicated to get that far, but that is, um, in principle, what a true maritime lien gives you. 
Now, in in the English approach, um, where we're probably all pretty um, familiar with the concept of possessory lien, and it really is what it what, what it says on the tin. Um, it's contractual, so it's a, it's a creature of contract. It, it stems from the common law, and the common law gives it um, that that backing. But what it does is it gives the shipowner the right to hold on to the goods, and they cannot part with possession if they want to maintain that lien. If they part with possession, the lien's extinguished, it's all over. It's slightly different in the US approach, and, and that's what I want to get into and, and, and kind of explain. So the the right in, uh, in England is more of a self-help remedy, um, as I say, a possessory lien. So the, the example that um, is in your folders there, and you can have a bit of a skim as I'm, as I'm explaining it if you'd like. It's, um, it's a generic example, but it does stem from um, uh, a real situation in that um, British Steel, as many of you may be aware, entered into liquidation earlier in the year. It, it's a, it was a big steel making um, operation in England. It, it went into liquidation after failing to secure some funding. Um, and under a lot of the charter parties that British Steel had entered into for the coal and iron ore that it used in its plants, they had long freight, almost credit arrangements, but freight payments um, in their charter parties, meaning that for a number of um, ship owners, they had delivered the cargo, um, they parted with possession of the cargo, uh, then British Steel went into insolvency and um, the, if the ship owner had already delivered, they were then stuck. And if it was an English law contract, the lien's all over. They, they just end up becoming another unsecured creditor. Um, the, I, won't, I don't have time to get into it, but there's some nuance. If you're looking at the English law lien um, and the type of insolvency proceeding you're dealing with, if it's a liquidation, um, then, uh, and you do still have possession, you can hold on to that cargo and exercise a self-help remedy. If, however, it's an administration process, which has the goal of keeping the, the company as a, a going concern, then there's a prohibition against self-help remedies. And, and even if you had a lien and you had possession of the car, you would not be able to exercise that lien. That's a bit of an as, a, a side point. Nonetheless, the, the hypothetical facts that we've got here are a ship owner, ship owner A, contracts with SS Steel as a charterer to uh, ship 50,000 tonnes of coal from, uh, go to Australia, so from, from Sydney to London, although it wouldn't be Sydney and it wouldn't be London, it'd probably Newcastle and Ingham, but it, that said, was for the purpose of this, because that's what, what we've done here, uh, Sydney to London, the, the terms of the charter party said that freight would be payable on delivery, and the charter party also contained a, a lien clause uh, to the word, the words to the effect that the, the owner shall have a lien upon all cargoes for any outstanding sums under the charter party, such as uh, freight, demurrage, um, and, and what have you. Um, the, the vessel then arrives, it turns up in London to deliver coal, um, <laughs> and payment has not been made, uh, and the master deliver, decides to deliver the cargo, notwithstanding the payment has not been made, and issues, and this is critical, issues uh, what we're calling a conditional notice of delivery. 
Um, so they hand over a, a notice prior to actually giving the delivery saying that we are doing this, we are delivering this cargo without prejudice to the lien rights that we have under the Charter Party um, and the delivery will not be taken to prejudice those lien rights. If it was an English law lien clause, useless. That means nothing um, because once you part with possession, the lien is done. In the US approach, however, we've got a different scenario um, and we've got something to talk about. So we then, we have the conditional um, notices issued, delivery is made, um, SS Steel enters into insolvency. Um, and the, the liquidator of SS Steel then um, seeks a stay uh, on having to make any payments. The ship owner, however, says, I want to exercise my lien rights. Um, against the cargo, even though it's um, already been delivered. The question is, is the ship owner's lien enforceable in that situation? And there's two elements that, that kind of complicate things. One, they're part of the possession, and two, we've got an insolvency happening here. Um, and the US approach, and I think this is kind of the overriding principle of, of um, or the essence of, of what I'm trying to convey today is that the US approach seeks to weigh the competing interests more than the English approach. The English approach is very black and white on these things. Um, uh, whereas the US approach says, well, because it is a true maritime lien that can survive after parting with possession, let's look what happens and let's look what did the parties expect to happen here. So. In the scenario, just putting an insolvency to one or bankruptcy to, to one side for the minute, and looking at the um, uh, the uh, parting with possession issue, in this case, in the facts that we've set out, um, prior to delivering the cargo, the ship owner made clear by issuing this conditional notice that it was not intending to extinguish its lien rights when it was handing over delivery. The consignee was taking the cargo knowing that there was a lien being exercised or at least being reserved uh, by the ship owner. That would be a factor that the court looks at in um, weighing up whether to maintain the lien. They would also look at what was the understanding of the parties. Did the um, did the consignee at that time properly appreciate what this conditional notice was about? Was it given to the right person? Was there an understanding upon which the cargo was being delivered to them and that it was subject to lien rights? So it's almost like a qualitative approach where the court will look at the various factors and see was the ship owner seeking to maintain its lien notwithstanding delivery? Um, and in the facts of this case, I think if it was a US um, scenario, there's a good chance that the ship owner would maintain its lien. Um, in the insolvency context, you, it gets into some other factors, and that's where we, we bring in the, uh, the, the concept of a third party um, bona fide purchaser. Um, that, that adds another kind of layer to all this. When you have um, a, a purchaser of the cargo who has bought this cargo, either with knowledge of the lien or without knowledge of the lien. And um, that's, a, that's a, a real critical issue in this. If the cargo had been delivered um, and the bill of lading 
which often will incorporate the Charter Party Lane clause. If that had um, been spent, if it no longer had any, had any effect anymore because the cargo had been delivered, um, and then the consignee sold that cargo on to a third party bona fide purchaser without <coughs> knowledge of the lien, the lien is most likely extinguished by that stage. Um, the maritime lien is done and the cargo would be in the hands of the um, bona fide purchaser and that would be the end of it. If, however, the, the sale um, occurred during the voyage um, and the, um, this third party purchaser that may not have been privy to the original contracts, if they bought the bill of lading, so to speak, and you could argue that they were on notice of the lien through the bill of lading, um, then even though uh, they then end up with the, um, uh, the possession of the goods and they weren't a party to the original contracts, you can, in some circumstances, still maintain that lien because it is a true maritime lien. And you can argue, even in an insolvency context, that, um, that, uh, that they're on notice of that lien and they're holding that lien um, to, uh, to the benefit of the ship owner. It gets complicated, of course, and it's, it's factually dependent on what happens to the cargo. Is it used? Is it then sold on somewhere else? Um, and there's, a, the, there's an argument around, um, I think, whether you can, um, if you've delivered to the original consignee who is subject to the lien and they use the goods, in this case coal, if they burn it in the plant, uh, can you argue that the lien survives such that you can um, claim the, the profits or, or the, the benefit that that party um, took from using that good? In, in, in other words, can, can the lien survive a changing of state of the, the actual cargo? And I, there's some arguments around that's getting quite, you know, I sort of wouldn't get in the weeds, maybe I am, um, but that can get quite complicated. But there are arguments on the US approach that you can do that. Um, so on the, as I said, on the English law scenario, um, if it was an English law lien clause, on these facts, the ship owner would be in trouble. Um, the, the ship owner would not be able to exercise a lien because they parted with possession. As I mentioned before, if this was a liquidation, not an administration, important distinction, the, and the uh, owner still had possession of, of the cargo, then the ship owner could um, exercise its possessory rights and, and hold that cargo. Um, we, we've actually uh, it, it kind of flowed on from a number of cases we handled related to the British uh, steel um, issue. Uh, we had uh, without going into the details of, of specifics, but we had clients on both sides of that scenario, pre and post delivery. Um, and it really it, it shone, shone a light for us on this distinction between US and, uh, and English approaches. And uh, Ed, um, uh, one of our associates who's coming on board in January, who couldn't be here today, Aidan uh, Lurch and I, we, we actually co-authored co a, um, a detailed journal on this distinction and, and put together a comparative piece. It's, it's a long 50-page journal, which um, we're, we're very pleased that um, Tulane Maritime Law Review, the, the journal there, is actually publishing our, our article in February. So it's very detailed and gets into a, an analysis of all of this, which you know, we'll, um, we'll make sure to, to circulate to you. 
Um, but our overall view of the two approaches is that we prefer the, the US approach on this, actually. Um, we think it, it does a better job of seeking to, um, to weigh the competing interests uh, of the various parties involved. The, the English approach can be a bit black and white. As a, as a ship owner, you're, you're, you're done if you're parted with possession. And as a matter of law, we don't see really good reasons for that. We understand that it's, it's historical and the nature of a lien as it's been um, construed and held in England is a possessory lien. But we, we actually advocate that um, that should be tested in, 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 in due course. And we do that by reference to the English approach, which does, I think, a better job of seeking to weigh the competing interests of the ship owner, of the consignee, of the bona fide third party purchaser of the, of the, um, the creditors in the insolvency pot. Um, so that, that's kind of where we come out of it. In fairness to the English approach, uh, it, um, it, it would come out on this and say, well, it, this is a creature of contract. The parties can write into their contract whatever they want. If they want to write in a continuing lien, they can do that. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. And, and so why does the law need to step in, in aid in that situation? It's a bit like the argument that's being deployed in the Athos at the moment on the unsafe port, where you've got, um, you, you've got this argument that, well, the unsafe port obligation should have written into it a due diligence obligation. Um, and then the primary position, as has been held here in most circuits in the US, is that, well, the unsafe port obligation is absolute, as it is in England. And if you want a due diligence obligation written into your contract, do it. It's done in multiple um, uh, contracts. It's, it's very common to write in. And mm -hmm. I think it was um, uh, Justice Ginsburg that in her first question to hearing the Athos made that point. And so it's gonna be interesting to see what, where they come out on that in, in the Supreme Court. Uh, but this is the point that I think in this context, the English approach would say, you can write into your contract what you will. And um, we, having seen it play out now in this um, real-life scenario, uh, it, it really strikes us as, um, you know, as stark that in a number of these charter parties, what the parties were really setting up was a credit arrangement. If you're going to deliver a cargo um, and not be paid freight for sometimes 30 days after delivery, because you're delivering to a very well-known company that's a massive company, you're taking on their insolvency risk. And okay, it might not happen, and it happens very rarely in England, and that's why there's not a lot of law on this, um, but you're taking a big risk. And if you take this outside the maritime context and you want to enter into some type of um, credit arrangement for a million bucks, and you're gonna, have, you're gonna want some security for that, you register your interest. And there is a, a pretty simple approach in England where you can, um, rather than describe it as a lien, you could describe it as a lien and or a charge and register the charge at company's house. It's a very straightforward process. You have to do that though within a certain period of time, I think it's about 20, 21 days of creation of the charge. So that's date of charter, date of charter party, most likely not date of bill. Um, and it would become cumbersome in having to do that for every charter party. I, I see that. But if, if you're a ship owner and you are, um, you're trading with uh, some company and you're extending this type of credit to them, unsecured credit, 
then it's, it's certainly worth thinking about. The other way to deal with it may well be, um, and I kind of throw this open, I suppose, to, to, um, to others in the room, is that you know, in the bunker context, we see lien clauses where it might be an English bunker contract and they write in that the lien clause itself is subject to US law. Looking at this from a shipowner's perspective, if I was advising a charter or a cargo, I may say something different, but from a shipowner's perspective, I, I wonder whether you could actually make the shipowner's lien over cargo subject to US law, just that, and the rest of the contract be subject to English law, very much like what they do with the bunker contract. And then that would bring in, I think, arguably, um, this qualitative approach that the US courts take to looking at um, the lien over cargo. Uh, it may also be a good um, good rod by which you can then eventually go to an English court saying, look, this is what this is a function of what's happened now because of the nature of the lien that's, that the English courts have established is that um, parties are trading and using uh, US lien rights in English charter parties. Um, so I, th I think those were the main points that I, I wanted to touch upon. If, you know, if you're a consignee looking at it from a, a cargo perspective, charter a cargo perspective, um, sell, sell the goods, you know, uh, that will extinguish, extinguish the, the maritime lien. Use them may or may not um, uh, extinguish the lien, that's more debatable. Um, and I think overall, one of the, the rationales, and this is unpacked in, in the article that we put together, is that there's also something about the US approach that allows the facilitation of trade more so than the English approach. The English approach creates an impasse. It says, ship owner, hold on to the cargo, hold it until you get paid. That stops the goods. The ship either has to sit on it off, off um, the port, holding onto the goods, it has to go to another port, it then has to find its own storage, put it in a bonded warehouse, depending on what the, the nature of the goods is, to its own order. That's all very cumbersome and it slows down the goods. In the US approach, the goods keep moving. They, they move through, yes, you, got, you need to issue a conditional notice. And it, again, coming back to the point, if you're trading on US contracts as a ship owner, um, you want to be issuing these conditional notices regularly. I don't, has anyone seen, seen these that often? I, I certainly haven't. Um, but it's, it's, it's important, I think. If you, if you have outstandings under the, under the charter party and you've got a US lien clause, you might be able to maintain some rights over payment if you're issuing these condition, uh, conditional notices. But it's this concept of keeping uh, commerce moving, which I think plays into the US approach. It, it's not a perfect uh, solution, the US approach, and it, but it, what it does do, which the English approach doesn't do, is it, it seeks to weigh the, um, the interests. As I say, the English approach would say, well, it's black and white, it's a possessory lien. If you part with possession, that's the end of it. There's some finality, there's some certainties, there's something nice about that. Um, uh, and if the parties want to change that, they can amend it in their contracts. So that's, that's kind of what I wanted to say on the topic. Um,